The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. A lot to cover in this edition of Talk of Champions. Got former Ole Miss defensive back Von Hutchins, David Brand of the Associated Press, and Nick Suss, the Ole Miss beat reporter for the Jackson Clarion Ledger. But before we get to it, let me tell you about my bookie, one of the many proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. At the end of a hard week, it's great to sit down, take some time off, and watch some football. Game-winning touchdowns on two-minute drives, running backs racing down the sidelines with no one to stop them. There's nothing else like the NFL and college football, and there's no better way to make the games even more exciting than to bet on them. So do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sportsbook. Don't forget, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. And mybookie.ag is the best in the business. It's where I play. It's where you should play too. And if you join now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. All you got to do is use the promo code TOC for Talk of Champions. That's TOC. To activate that offer, that's promo code TOC. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. And now it's Talk of Champions. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. Back again, it's Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter, and the guest co-host chair is Nick Suss. Covers Ole Miss for the Jackson Clarion Ledger. Got two guests coming up. First up is David Brand of the Associated Press. He and I both cover Jevin Sneed, so thought it appropriate after Jevin tragically passed away Saturday night to look back a little bit at his Ole Miss career, just reminisce and walk down memory lane. It's uh, terrible, terrible news about Jevin Sneed and wish the best for his friends, his family, all those who knew him. Both Dave and I had great experiences with Jevin. Thought it would be nice to take a couple of minutes, talk about him. And he's coming up as David Brandt in about 10 minutes or so. Also got Von Hutchins, former Ole Miss defensive back. Von spent 13 years in the NFL as a player, front office type. He's coming up on the Modern Woodman phone line in just a bit. But first, it's Nick Suss. Nicholas, how you doing, bud? I'm doing pretty well, Ben. Thanks for having me back. So what did we learn from Saturday, Nick? Well, depends on if you're asking what we learned about football or what we learned about the intricacies of the rule book. Where should we start? Oh, God. Both sound intriguing to me. 
ah, football's fun. I didn't know that the forward pass had expanded to Berkeley quite yet, and they managed to throw the ball all over this team. That's a little concerning when you're playing two of the next weekend. But other than that, this team's pretty much what we thought it was. Their run defense is a lot stouter than it's been in years, and it is continuing to be stout. And the offense is a work in progress, depending on what drive it is. Sometimes it looks really, really great. Sometimes it looks like they can't get a first down. It's a very inconsistent offense and a very bipolar defense. Before we get to the Matt Crowd, John Rice Plumley stuff, look, the non-review was a problem. Everyone admitted that they should have reviewed it. Now, the Pac-12, yeah. of course, is going to stand by its men and its referees and say they made the right call. But that's for another day. We don't know what the decision would have been. We all agree, however, even when there is a difference of opinion on whether or not it was a touchdown, the play should have been reviewed. Yeah, no, it totally should. And the interesting thing to me is – Two weeks ago, when they had the Arizona State-Michigan State game in the Pac-12, and that was Pac-12 officials, they came out and said they missed the call on the field goal. There should have been a leaping call against Arizona State that wasn't called. With this one, they came out and said the call was correct, but it should have been reviewed. So in the past, they have exhibited an ability to say, hey, we were wrong, we should have made a different call. Here, they pretty much only said we should have reviewed it, but obviously they have reviewed it and they don't seem to think they would have come up with a different answer. But see, that's where subjectivity comes into play. It's easy now with the benefit of hindsight to say, oh, the call was right, but you don't know what the decision would have been in real time, and that's where the sticking point is for most fans. But again, I don't think it should be lost. Ole Miss still would have had to have converted a two-point conversion uh-huh. just to tie it, and the field goal problems persist. The offensive yep. issues persist. Defensively, they yep. can't get off the field on third down, even when it's third and long. I think at least on one scoring drive, two conversions of third and 10 or longer. So, yep. yes, the call, the non-review, not the way it should have gone. But that's not why Ole Miss lost to Cal. And now you're 2-2, two and two, looking down the schedule, trying to find your six wins. And without Cal, I don't know where you find those wins. No, you're right. Uh, blaming the refs for that is putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. It's... It wasn't a game they played better than Cal. Uh, Well, they played really well offensively, but they couldn't finish. So I I don't necessarily think they earned the win if you want to go with that whole moral victory parade. And you're right. The path to six just got a lot murkier because now there's no way around it. You can't get to six wins without beating a team that has been ranked this year at some point. There are five teams left on the schedule that have been ranked at some point. All five of them are either undefeated or have only lost to ranked teams. And now you have to beat at minimum one of them, assuming you can beat Missouri and Vanderbilt in order to even get to that six. And Missouri and Vanderbilt still aren't guarantees. So you're starting to look at a very uphill battle for that battle to six. No, yeah. And if that's the case, three wins, four wins, five wins, well, not so much five wins, but certainly three or four, the conversation changes. Now it's about the intrigue and the uncertainty surrounding Matt Luke, potentially. That really comes into focus, and I know everyone wants to avoid the topic. No matter what the leadership situation is at Ole Miss right now, when you look at attendance and you listen to fans and you see the online community, everyone in and around Ole Miss, the lack of enthusiasm, if this turns bad, which now it's easy to argue that they're closer to 3-9 and nine than they are 6-6, six and six, the conversation has to turn as well, and I think it all becomes a more realistic possibility for everyone involved. Yeah, it all goes back to that old cliche of the opposite of love not being hate but indifference. There's an awful lot of indifference right now. You look at the stands, you look at the ticket sales, you look at 
just general enthusiasm about the team. And there's not too much to be excited about. I think, well, I know we're going to get to John Rice in a second. And I think there's some excitement around him justified or not. But other than that, there hasn't been too much of a spark of anything to really rile up the fan base this year. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens October 19th when they start selling booze to see if that helps at all. But that's one thing to look forward to uh, from a interest perspective. But other than that, you're right. They're going to have to uh, prove that this isn't a three-win, four-win team in order to keep the interest of the fans into November. The best crowd of the year was the Arkansas game. They still only had 48,000 there. Yeah. The Cal crowd looked good from the press box. From the side I could see, the sidelines were full. The student section was empty. Um, and there's really nothing the school can do about that. If the students don't want to come, the students aren't going to come. But the general admission looked fuller for Cal than it did for Arkansas. It's just there were no students there. That's a long-term problem and, quite frankly, a conversation for another day. I want to talk about John Rice Plumley first. Briefly, I need to tell you about the Oxford Park Commission and Impact by Ironwood, two of the many proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. Score big points with your kids by signing them up for Oxford Park Commission Youth Basketball. Registration is now open for leagues serving ages 5 to 15. The cost to play is just $50 per child, and there are discounts available for families with multiple players. The deadline to sign up is October 4th. Visit OxfordParkCommission.com for more details or to sign up. Business owners, did you know you can support Ole Miss Athletics every time you accept a debit or credit card payment? That's right. Impact by Ironwood offers the best debit and credit card payments processing tools around, and they'll donate a portion of their profits to the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation in your name. The best part is you don't have to spend an extra dime to get exclusive member benefits, earn donor priority points, and support your Ole Miss Rebels. To learn more, call 1-833-GO-TEAMS. That's 1-833-GO-TEAMS. Or go to www.impactolemiss.com. That's impactolemiss.com. Make a difference. Make an impact. You heard Matt Luke on Monday. Matt Corral has bruised ribs. And he was non-committal, as non-committal as Matt Luke can be. He's generally not a coach that goes into those press conference settings and gives away too much. But when he was asked straight up, if Matt Corral was healthy, would he be the starter? He conceded that John Rice Plumley has a role going forward. Now, I said last week that I'm not convinced Matt Corral is the starting quarterback at the end of the year. I'm not saying that the movement is already in motion for John Rice Plumley to take over as the quarterback of this football team. But desperate people do desperate things. And if Ole Miss is on the side of desperation after losing to Cal and looking at three and nine in the face, I wouldn't be surprised if John Rice Plumley, should he continue to flash, and if they get boat raced at Alabama, doesn't get more and more of a role and by the end of this thing isn't the starter. Where are you right now in this whole conversation with the quarterback quote controversy in Oxford? I'm going to get much more specific later, but I'm going to start off with a lukewarm statement that you're going to get mad at. I still believe that Matt Corral is the best quarterback on Ole Miss's roster. Whether that means he is the best starting quarterback for Ole Miss right now has yet to be seen. Whether his playing style is conducive to Ole Miss getting more wins than John Rice Plumley's playing style, I don't know. You've brought up in the past, and I've heard on your podcast, bringing up that John Rice was handpicked by Rich Rod. I think there is something to that, that if you look through Rich Rod's history as a head coach, and even dating back to his offensive coordinator jobs at Clemson, he likes having a quarterback like John Rice. And John Rice, as you can see from those 10 plays, 11 plays he was on the game, he looked really electric. The problem is, I've seen him in person five or six times. I covered him in high school a little bit last year when he was at Oak Grove. He is a very inconsistent passer. And you could even see that even though he was completing his passes at the end of the Cal game. 
he might not have been making the best decisions, throwing over the middle on first and 10 with 55 seconds left, with no timeouts, etc. He was putting the ball in the right places, but he's kind of an inconsistent decision maker as a passer. That said, he's an electric runner, and obviously he has a live arm. You saw that on the deep throw to Demarcus Gregory. It was a 50-50 ball. Gregory made a heck of a play, but I do think that was a throw that should be credited to the receiver as much as the quarterback. All of that is to say I'm a bit of a cynic, and I think Matt Luke said what he said today as a bit of gamesmanship. You don't come out and say quarterback X is hurt or quarterback X is healthy when you're about to play a team that now has to prepare for both of them. Let's be straight, Alabama's going to have the advantage regardless of if it has to prepare for two quarterbacks. But there's a reason they came out and said, we're preparing for three quarterbacks. They even threw Grant Tisdale's name in there. They were so noncommittal about who's going to play quarterback. They want Alabama to have to prepare for everything. If you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. You have to make a decision. You have to. You, you should make a decision, but I think there have been successful teams that haven't. The track record of two quarterbacks starting for a team that's competing and contending and going to bowls, it's not great. But that doesn't mean it doesn't work. So Ole Miss would be the exception then? No, I think the 2006 Florida Gators were the exception. Ole Miss would hope to be like that. But but you're thinking then that John Rice Plumley's playing the Tim Tebow role, but Tim Tebow couldn't consistently push the ball down the field. No, and that's my point, that it's hard to do, but it's not impossible. I don't think they should run a two-quarterback system. I'm just saying I think it's It's possible. not like Ole Miss has Percy Harvin out there anywhere. No, I don't think they have Percy Harvin. I don't think they have Riley Cooper. I don't think they have any of that talent. But I do think that there is a blueprint, even if you look back to there were Oklahoma teams five, six years ago doing it with Trevor Knight and Blake Bell, and Blake Bell couldn't throw a ball for his life, but they were winning a lot of games. There's precedent for doing this. It's just a matter of how much can you do it and how much should you do it. No, that's more than fair, more than fair, but my whole issue with John Rice Plumley being inconsistent as a passer is where has Matt Corral, when has Matt Corral shown you that he's not inconsistent as a passer? That's exactly what he's been. I look at the missed throw to Elijah Moore where Elijah's wide open in the red zone, and if he catches that ball, he's got a chance to score, and Matt throws it at his feet. And this is not to diminish Matt Corral. I think Matt Corral is going to be a good starting quarterback in college. I don't necessarily know if that's going to be long-term at Ole Miss or not. Heck, he might be the best quarterback right now. I just think it's more of a question than anyone was willing to acknowledge initially. I think right now this team is in such a state of flux. Outside of a few positions, it's in a complete state of flux to where giving guaranteed starting jobs to anyone, it's a risky proposition. Elijah Moore is guaranteed to be a starter at wide receiver. We know that. Scotty Phillips is guaranteed to be the starting running back, but Jerrion Ely is going to carry the ball. He only got one yeah. touch in the second half against Cal. That's inexcusable. That guy has got to have more than one touch when you're trying to win a football game. The point is, across the board for the most part, very few players have a guaranteed starting spot with this team in such flux. I'm not calling it a quarterback controversy. Matt Corral is the starting quarterback for the Ole Miss Rebels. But it's still the same truth today as it was last week and the week before. It's no guarantees to start by the end of the year. And I think John Rice Plumley has started to at least put the seed of doubt in the mind of most people, including his coaching staff, to where you have to take him seriously. So let me ask you this, because I'm curious where you stand on this. Do you think it's worse for a team to use two quarterbacks in a game or to have the specter of a quarterback being benched looming over him? I think the first one. Because I think it's the second one. Oh. I think having a quarterback playing scared. I think we put too much stock into stuff like that, the psychological angle of, 
looking over my shoulder. When a guy's in a game, he's not thinking to himself on third and seven and pressure coming into his face, God, if I don't get this off right, so-and-so is going to come in from behind me if I throw an interception. I don't think that happens. Now, during the practice week, yeah, maybe put a little bit of credence into it, but in game action, all else falls away, and you just go out there and play. I don't think that there will ever come a time in which Matt Corral, if he's the starter, is ultimately benched in favor of John Rice Plumley. I, I think what would happen is Matt Corral struggles throughout the game. Ole Miss is going to lose it. It's pretty obvious at this point. John Rice goes in, get Matt Corral out of there. John Rice turns out a pretty good performance. Maybe he falls flat on his face too. I don't know. But let's just assume for the sake of argument that he goes out there and he does pretty well. That Monday when Matt Luke meets with the media, it's a conversation of a quarterback open competition. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. But I also guess my, my thought is to use your logic your teammates aren't thinking about who is throwing them the ball when the ball is being thrown to them. So just by the same token of you're not thinking about being benched when you're playing, if you're rotating quarterbacks, the teammates don't notice. And if you genuinely think you have two quarterbacks who can win with differing styles, all you're doing is adding more and more that the opposing defense has to prepare for and has to protect against. So I do think if you can do it well, if you want to completely take the mental side out of it, like you did with the other side of this argument, I don't necessarily know if there's a downside if you genuinely trust your two quarterbacks. Well, I think you're more right as far as what Ole Miss is ultimately going to do. It's the safest play. It's probably the smartest play. Look, Ole Miss is headed toward nowhere right now. There is no obvious win on the schedule outside of New Mexico State. So yes, go for it. It's the safest play. I agree with you. But ultimately, you're going to have to make a decision because otherwise it's a disservice to Matt Corral, it's a disservice to John Rice Plumley. Those players have to think for themselves too. And if one of the two ends up losing the job in the spring, the other one wants to go find a place in which he can play. And that's a good problem to have. I mean, think about Alabama. It's the easiest example with Tua and Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is now balling out for Oklahoma. But if Alabama hadn't had Jalen Hurts when Tua went down, who are they going to? So there can be a benefit, and it's the safest play, and it's the play that Ole Miss, the card that Ole Miss will play. But there will come a time, just like with two and Jalen Hurts, where you have to decide. It can't be a long-term vision. And if you're not preparing for the long-term, what are you doing? Which brings me to a second question. If you're truly preparing for the long-term, does the four-game limit come into play with John Rice? That's the most fascinating question of this. How much do you play him? Are you going to burn a complete year of eligibility on a two-quarterback rotating system to where he's just running the ball a couple of times? He comes in and every opposing defense goes, oh, it's the running quarterback. Is there a scenario in which they use Plumlee for four games and Tisdale for four games and uh, preserve both of their red shirts? I don't know. Now this whole conversation could be moot if Matt Crow just went out there and balled. Yeah, and I think for the first half against Cal, he did that. Something changed in the third quarter, and Neither Cal nor Ole Miss will admit it, but something changed in that third quarter. That offense went from being as good as it's looked all year and much better than it's looked all year to looking like it did in the first half against Memphis. And I'm not sure what happened. I'm not sure what changed. You brought up that play a few minutes ago where Corral missed Elijah Moore in the red zone. I will acknowledge that he also had a defender's helmet in his chest. Not the easiest throw to make. No. Still a throw he should make. But something changed in the third quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, it clicked back and the offense was really moving the ball again. And I do think that Corral could have led that comeback just as easily 
as Plumlee did. Not because of the pre-vet defense, but just because the offense was clicking. I don't believe in momentum. I don't believe in this idea of a magical balance deciding the game. But the offense was playing well, and Corral seemed to be in command of the game. And then Plumlee came in and did what Corral was doing. It was just one really putrid quarter, and I have no idea why. I haven't been able to watch the film. Uh, Ole Miss fan has to hope Rich Rodriguez and his staff figured out what was the difference in that 15 minutes of action. The offense just feels like a disjointed mess right now. I guess. I think that they're, you hit on the head with the complete lack of giving Jerry on touches mm-hmm. in the second half. I don't know where that came from. Uh, they just stopped giving him the ball. And Scotty's a good runner, but he's a volume runner. You have to get him downhill like an avalanche. You can't just give it to him for one burst and hope he's going to break 30 yards. That's what Jerry on should be for. And when they weren't able to get a consistent attack and turn first downs into first downs and grind the defense, it shouldn't have been Scotty who was the focus of the offense. That's my perspective. I'm not going to pretend I'm the genius play caller or anything, but it seems like Scotty is the guy who you want to give to 11 times in a row. But when your offense is going three and out, you can't do that. If you're staring down the barrel of three and nine or four and eight, does it not make sense to go with the two guys who excite your fan base if you're trying to put butts in seats and sell the future and what they could be. Scotty Phillips is awesome. He should be the bell cow like he was last year. But with this offensive line, it's tough. And that's why I'm not convinced either that if they are staring down this barrel, that rolling out John Rice Plumley and Jerry on Ely and just seeing what you got isn't the worst idea. Yeah, and just uh, start wearing powder blues every Sunday and yeah. call it baseball season. <laughs> Let's be honest. They're not getting to six wins now. I doubt it. I'm not going to say it's impossible. Teams get better. But you start looking at the math. This pretty much means you have to beat Missouri. You have to beat State. You have to beat Vanderbilt. You have to beat New Mexico State. Because the other four teams on the schedule are behemoths right now. I know Texas A&M has two losses, but those two losses are the top eight teams. It gets really, really tough. So... You have no margin of error against your arch rival. You have no margin of error against a Missouri team that has one of the most electric offenses in the country. I don't know. The six is looking really, really long right now. Is Texas A&M closer to Cal ranked or one of the behemoths in the SEC West? I don't know. That's a good question. I think Texas A&M might be in the same caliber rank wise as a team like Memphis even or Cal. I think that all three of them are going to be in contention for those second and third tier bowl games. But I do think that Texas A&M just presents a horrible matchup for what Ole Miss is good at and what Ole Miss is bad. Kellen Mond is probably going to be able to shred Ole Miss's secondary, and Texas A&M's defense uh, has been stout against the run for years. Their defensive coordinator, Mike Elko, is pretty brilliant to that sort of stuff. And so if you make Ole Miss's offense one-dimensional and get them behind the sticks, and if you're able to throw the ball, it gets really, really tough to win if you're Ole Miss. You compare that to a team like State, which has been a very good run first team this year. And if Ole Miss can take away the run, then you find a ball game. But if you're facing a team that throws the ball well and can stop the run well, Ole Miss becomes too one dimensional. And I find their options very, very hard to win. That voice you hear is Nick Suss. He covers Ole Miss for the Jackson Clarion Ledger. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. You can follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Suss, N I C K S U S S. Also check out his stuff online in the newspaper, the Jackson Clarion Ledger. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, an affiliate of 247 Sports. We're going to get right to David Brand of the Associated Press to talk about Jevin Sneed, who tragically passed away over the weekend. 
but some house cleaning here before we jump to Brent. Let's hear from BNA Bank, which powers Talk of Champions. Reason number 12 to bank at BNA. We are the bank for Northeast Mississippi. We have one home, Northeast Mississippi. Seeing this local Northeast Mississippi economy thrive and helping the people of our area with their borrowing needs is our only focus. From buying a home to starting your own business, we are the team of local lenders standing ready to make your dreams a reality. BNA Bank. We are the bank of Northeast Mississippi. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Joining me now is David Brand of the Associated Press. David now works in Arizona, no longer the Mississippi Associated Press writer. But back in 2008, as I was breaking into this business, David covered Ole Miss for the Clarion Ledger. And we both covered Jevin Sneed. And after the tragic passing of Jevin over the weekend, I thought it only appropriate to take some time, a couple of minutes, 10 minutes or so, to remember him, our experiences with him, his career at Ole Miss. David, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing well, doing well out in Phoenix, obviously, you know, just in, incredibly sad news. Um, you know, Jevin, I, I've spent several years, obviously, covering Ole Miss with the AP and the Clarion Ledger, but Jevin's tenure was really the three years I lived in Oxford, and I was really, you know, with the Clarion Ledger, and I was entrenched on that beat, and so really saw the ups and downs and everything of Jevin's career, and and really you know, enjoyed covering him. And so obviously it's, it's just sad and it's, you know, it just kind of makes you think about that time and not just football, but, but just that period of being around Ole Miss. So uh, it's hard to put into words in a lot of ways, but I, I think with kind of some perspective on that, those that, especially that 2008, 2009 seasons are some of the most memorable ones really at Ole Miss in the past 40 or 50 years. Oh yeah. His throw against LSU to Mike Wallace is hands down one of the greatest throws in Ole Miss history. Oh, he, he had some huge moments. I mean, they beat Tebow in the swamp and the promise game. That LSU game you were talking about, I really think about that. He made three huge throws against LSU, against a good LSU team, and, and they really dominated down there. That's the best I ever saw Jevin play. He was terrific that day. That was kind of the game in a lot of ways that, that got him kind of on the NFL radar and all that different things. And, and he, he had some huge performances in just that 2008 season if you remember, you know, they beat Florida and I think they came back and lost to South Carolina. Yeah. And you just wondered if this team could ever figure out how to win consistently. And then they went on that six game winning streak to end the season where they were just crushing teams. You know, LSU, if I remember right, that was the 45 to nothing egg bowl game against Wesley Carroll and everything. And then Michael Crabtree. And Texas Tech, you know, they beat them. And that's fine. I, I cover Michael Crabtree now here out in Phoenix. Um, just an incredible run. I mean, he had some huge moments. You're writing the obit on Jevin for the Associated Press. What do you know so far? As far as cause of death and everything, I have nothing confirmed or anything like that. Kind of going over the AP just goes over the career. And actually, somebody else is writing the obit. I was providing the the Mississippi stuff because he died in, in Texas. But, you know, I, I talked to Houston Nutt for a while about it. Hadn't talked to him in a couple of years. And, and obviously, Houston was was sad and, and heartbroken. And again, Jevin's career and Houston's career at Ole Miss, they're kind of tied together. I mean, obviously, those were, were two huge years kind of going back and putting into perspective what Jevin means is especially, I mean, partly in Texas too, but really at Ole Miss where he stands kind of in history is really one of the most memorable quarterbacks to ever come through that school. 
when we talk about Archie Manning and Eli Manning and Chad Kelly and Bo Wallace, rightfully so, among the best, if not the best quarterbacks in Ole Miss history, Jevin is certainly in that top tier as well for what he meant and the production that he had. And I hate that we're having to talk about it now like this in this situation, but it's still true that Jevin Sneed was one of the key cogs in Ole Miss football history as far as turning this program around and having some of the most successful years that Ole Miss ever had. Yeah, he was incredible. I mean, like I talked about that, about eight-game run he had at the end of 2008 was as good of a run as I've ever seen for a quarterback, especially if you remember Houston Nuts' offenses at times were really good, but they really asked the quarterback to make difficult throws. Um, There weren't a lot of little easy seven-yarders over the middle. I mean, Jevin had to make tough, NFL level throws and he did it really, really well for a couple months. And, and that's what I was talking about. Kind of you, you reminisce and think about the the story arc of Jevin's career. Cause obviously the 2008 season was so incredible. And then expectations are incredibly high in 2009. You remember the sports illustrated covers, yeah. you know, all that stuff. I mean, uh, Kyle Campbell, I think tweeted out the, the cover last night and the expectations were insane and through the roof. And for many different reasons, Jevin didn't play great. You know, there were other reasons behind it, too. But 2009 season, even though, like, when you look back in perspective, nine and four and winning the Cotton Bowl is pretty darn good year at Ole Miss. It just didn't quite go the way everybody wanted it to go. And so you're right. It ended a little sour. Um, Jevin threw, I think, 20 interceptions his senior year. He didn't get drafted. It didn't work out with the NFL. And so it was always a little bit of a bittersweet tale. But I think, like I said, with the perspective of 10 years later, looking back at it through that lens, it was an incredible time for Ole Miss football. And, And from just covering Jevin, Jevin was a class act through all of it. And he was always good teammate, always kind of the same guy. You could tell that when he was throwing the interceptions and struggling a little, that bothered him, obviously. But um, he would always talk to us. And and I thought he handled it as gracefully as just about anybody could. So I I think great competitor had some big moments in some of the the biggest times when he was asked to. And and whether it was good or bad, I, I thought he handled most things with a lot of grace. I talked to a number of his former teammates on Sunday and broke the news to many of them. And it hit him like a ton of bricks. I mean, even guys that weren't necessarily all that close with Jevin, but they were teammates, and everyone to a man had nothing but good things to say about him, and I think that speaks volumes now that he's gone. And that run there in 2008, 2009, that was the sweet spot for me because I'm just now breaking in at that time to what I'm doing now. And so I was 22, venting and complaining to David Brand about sourcing, and I got all my sourcing through players. That's how I got to break into this business. And so I still talk to a number of these people, And it's really strange when your work life and your life life kind of intersect like this. And I remember there was a particular moment when something was going on with the program. I can't remember exactly what, but I was feeling around a player, seeing what was going on. And a lot of them couldn't talk about it, didn't want to talk about it, didn't want to be the guy to talk about it. And Jevin, just the way in which he treated people, even me, a kid that was his age, a lot of people weren't taking seriously, Houston Nutt being one of them. Jevin could not have been kinder and could not have been more gracious with time and and just wanting to be um, accessible and friendly to everyone. And it's just a small anecdotal example of how good of a dude this guy was, was Jevin Sneed. But it's what I think about. When you're breaking into any business, you need people that help you along. And it might be someone that's old and gray or bald like David was for me, or it could be a Jevin Steed, who was your age, but knew what you were doing and what he was doing and that it all mattered. And that's why 
I think everybody that ever knew Jevin, no matter what walk of life you're in, you're sad today. Yeah, my my little anecdote about Jevin that, that was kind of like you said, gracious to everybody, you know, for a guy who was a huge quarterback recruit in Texas of all places, it would be easy to understand if he grew up with a little bit of an attitude, a little bit of all that. But I was if I think it's still in Oxford, Kabuki, the the sushi place oh, yeah. and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, me and my wife were eating at Kabuki and the tables were kind of close together. And Jevin and whoever he was with were like right next to us. We were almost essentially at the same table. And so I was like, hey, Emily, this is Jevin. And, you know, we ended up almost like having dinner together. And he couldn't have been nicer. I mean, we we had fun, talked for 15 or 20 minutes. And I mean, again, just like I was one of his teammates or just like I was anybody other dude, he didn't have to do that. I mean, you know, he could have been kind of arrogant and different things like that. But he was the same to everybody. And it was just we talked Texas country music. He's one of the players that, even though I wouldn't say we were close by any stretch, but, you know, you got to know right. a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. talk to his parents some for stories I did. And like you said, when work and, and personal life kind of intersect and you kind of go back, because believe it or not, I actually had some hair then. Um, and I was, <laughs> I guess I was 28. Um, those were kind of my formative years, too, as a beat writer. That's where I really learned to be a beat writer. And it was good to have a, a quarterback like Jevin, who was just such a good guy. He's David Brand of the Associated Press at David Brand AP. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Ben. Take care. That was David Brand of the Associated Press. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. If you're the praying type, pray for Jevin Sneed's family. If you're just the good thoughts, well wishes type, same deal. 32 years old. 32. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. And please leave a five-star review. You could say I'm a terrible person. That's okay. As long as it's five stars, I'm good. Also available in SoundCloud, just simply search Talk of Champions. Should be wherever you get your podcasts. But if we're not somewhere, let me know on Twitter, at SpiritBen. Going to go now to former Ole Miss defensive back, Von Hutchins. And we cover a lot of ground. From the art of football scouting to his favorite Ole Miss memory, Eli Manning, you name it. Von joins me on the Modern Woodman phone line. The podcast brought to you by Thomas Chandler, your Modern Woodman representative. It wasn't so long ago, I'm talking a couple of months, where financially I needed some help. Not that I was struggling, but getting my finances in order, organizing my money so that I'm in the best position for retirement, preparing for college for my kids, and everything else. I'm sure most every one of you can relate. And that's why you should do like me and contact Thomas Chandler today. He's your local Modern Woodman representative, and he'll get you right for retirement or savings or whatever you need. He's done it for me. He'll do it for you. What does Modern Woodman do, though, you might ask? Financial security for you and your family through life insurance, financial planning, and financial services. Quality family life through member benefits and local fraternal activities. And community impact through volunteer projects that make a difference where members live, work, and play. It's time to get rid of your financial burden. Contact Thomas Chandler, 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. Or you can check him out at www.modernwoodman.org. www.modernwoodman.org. That's Thomas Chandler, your Modern Woodman representative. Joining me now on the Modern Woodman phone line, it's Von Hutchins, former Ole Miss defensive back, played 13 years in the NFL. He's now a Southeast scout for the NFL PA Bowl. Formerly a scout for the Oakland Raiders. You've been busy, Vaughn. How you doing, man? Man, been busy. Shit, I'd be uh really busy if uh, if I if I played thirteen years. I actually played six. Uh thirteen years of actual experience in the NFL. I, I put in six years, uh spent time with the Indianapolis Colts, Houston Texans, finished up with the Atlanta Falcons, and then once I finished up ball, uh immediately got into uh personnel 
uh, spent the next seven years with the Oakland Raiders, five as a pro scout, two as the assistant director of pro scouting up there with the Raiders uh, the entire time with Reggie McKenzie uh, and his staff, man, and thoroughly enjoyed myself, man. I've been around ball all my life, man. What's harder, being a player or trying to find the next great player for your team? <laughs> You'd be amazed, man, at at how much tape you watch, at how much uh, of your time is invested of learning guys, uh, not just the football player, and I'm and I'm talking about his uh, working in personnel, but not just the football player himself and what he can do on the field and what he can't do on the field and what you think that how he may project to the next level, but what is the guy? How is the guy, you know, the personality, uh, where he's come from, what type of drive he has, uh, what's his heart, you know, what's going on on, on the inside. Uh, so a perspective, man, that was the tough part about the game. That was the tough part about scouting, you know, just projecting uh, how a guy is going to do at the next level how will a guy do with money uh with myself uh and playing man obviously man just the preparation you know what i mean uh once you get onto that next level once you make it to the league man everybody's good everybody's talented everybody's skillful uh, at that point it's, a, it's about you know just getting yourself to the next game once you've made the 53 and you cross that hurdle uh how do you get yourself prepared to play the next game I'm sitting here watching Monday Night Football right now, thinking to myself, man, these guys right here that are going through uh, 60 minutes of hell, as we put it, now they got to play a game this coming up Sunday. You know, these these guys got uh, a short time to to get things rolling again. So uh, that's the thing about that's the thing about the league, man. Just the the preparation, you know, uh, getting your body back right being a true professional and, you know, a bunch of the guys that have played in the league, man, hats off to Eli for what he did this past weekend in helping Daniel, Daniel Jones, uh, uh, prepare and get ready for his first start. But, you know, those man, guys like that, just getting your body right mentally, physically, emotionally ready to play week in and week out. That's the tough part about playing at this level. Is there a certain criteria you follow, a base criteria, when you're trying to scout and find a good player? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. A- athletically, uh, you want to be want to make sure that 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 they will uh, be able to compete at the next level. So, uh, athletically, you have to have uh, a certain skill set, uh, play strength, explosiveness, play speed, FBI. Those are the five critical factors we truly look for. So athletic ability, play strength, explosiveness, play speed, and FBI. So at every position, and then from that point, you have subcategories that you can you know, fully uh, critique a player in that regard. So whether you're talking about the quarterback position, the running back position, wide receiver, defensive back, D tackles, D ends, uh, inside linebackers, outside linebackers, safeties, corners, uh, and then each scheme is specific to how uh, each skill set is going to be weighted, how each critical factor will be weighted. Uh, when we were with uh, uh, Jack Del Rio out with the Raiders, 
uh, we didn't emphasize the fullback, uh, you know, Musgrave scheme in uh, 2016, uh, 2017, didn't emphasize the fullback. So that wasn't a position that we put much weight into. Jason Tarver's defense, we ran a 3-4 type scheme where we ended up drafting Khalil Mack. Uh, that defense uh, put a lot of pressure on the edges. So we needed guys who were 6'3", 250 pounds or more. Uh, ideally, you wanted them to run 4-7 uh, or better. Uh, ideally, you want these guys to have 33-inch arms or better. Uh, ideally, you want them to have this type of explosiveness. Now, at the end of the day, will you ever find this this guy in one, uh, all these critical factors that uh, hit your standard in one person? Probably not. And if he, and if he does, somebody else is going to take him. You know, he just won't be sitting there for you. Uh, but every once in a while you hit a gym. Every once in a while you hit a Khalil Mack. And, and you see this guy on tape and you're like, bro, I hope no one else uh, is infatuated with this type of player and has that type of need. Uh, for this player at this spot. And when you do, you know, you see what you get. You get two sacks, two forced fumbles in a game. You know, as he's putting on the show out here. What's the toughest position to scout? Safety. Safety, in my opinion, defensively is the toughest position to scout simply because uh, a lot of times in college ball, uh, they don't do much. Really, in pro ball, too, they don't do much unless you're scheme-specific. Uh, great safeties jump off the screen to you. Uh, Earl Thomas jumps off the screen. Sean Taylor jumps off the screen. Uh, these type of guys, when you watch Malik Hooker at, at Ohio State, he jumped off the screen because of the type of ball skills he had. But then you go back and you watch uh, Penn State tape of Adrian Amos, uh, and he was with the Bears formerly. He's currently with the Packers. And you could watch three games and you feel like, bro, I don't know what this guy does. You know what I mean? Uh, you, you feel like, okay, he makes firm tackles, but you don't know how he is in the middle of the field. Uh, you feel like he, he has a good understanding of zone, but you don't necessarily see him open up full speed and run. Uh, you don't know how he can cover man to man. So that position requires a lot of, uh, tape study and diligence and watching and an understanding of football and then talking to the coaching staff, talking to guys that are around the building with him and speaking with those uh, his position coach and being like, okay, how is Adrian uh, when he's in the building? How, he, how is he as a learner? Uh, what does he do when he goes to the weight room as a strength coach? Uh, is he committed to the process? Does he come early? You know, it just tells you a lot about the guy. So that position, you're really trying to figure out, okay, how is this guy? Because they're the quarterback of the defense. You know, safeties, linebackers, the quarterbacks of the defense. So you need this guy to be able to communicate. You need him to be able to change uh, uh, the defense formationally uh, based off of what the offense does, uh, schematically based off of what the offense does. Uh, so it's, a lot of it is, is mental as well as what go, goes on uh, from a physical standpoint, once you actually look at the tape. And then the other position, obviously, is quarterback. Because there's so many different factors that, that, that come into play when, you, when you're evaluating quarterbacks. Easy evaluations are, you know, Eli Manning. You get back the, the criteria, you know, you talk to Coach Cut, and boom, everybody in the building loves him. 
Everybody in the in the building vouches for him. Everybody in the building uh, has a positive uh, regard for him. But then you look at a guy like Baker Mayfield, and it can go two two different ways, just based off of how you feel. You know, Ben, you may not like short quarterbacks. You know, and that could be an end all be all for you. So Baker may not even be on your board. Whereas for me, I just like his swag. I like the confidence. I like the guy. I met the guy in person. Shit, I, I feel like I can have a beer with this guy. You know, you you, you know what I mean. So it's yeah. it's all based off of different uh, schemes, different types of philosophies offensively. Uh, what you plan to do offensively with your scheme, and then just personal preference. Who's the guy that when you were out scouting, you saw him and you went, "Yeah, that guy's going to be a superstar." You just knew it. Oh man. Uh, I, I got a couple and that I saw uh, in person. Now, now I was a, a pro scout, so I did the vast majority of my work in-house. Uh, that's the cutting players, uh, filling out the roster on a week-to-week basis, making sure that we have 53 guys on the roster, 10 guys on P-Squad, two of those guys being exception guys, guys that uh, uh, had more than three years of uh, accrued years in the league. But I was allowed to get on the road quite a bit, especially when I did advances and especially during pro days. Uh, me personally, I went down and I saw Chris Jones work out when he was at Mississippi State. And Chris Jones was different. You know, anytime you see a guy that's 6'4", 6'5", 300 plus that moved the way he moved, you know, that was an immediate, hey, hey Reggie, uh, I know we got this guy at this spot on the board. Hey, I think we need to bump this guy up because I hadn't seen a 300-plus pounder be able to move his feet in the type of way that he can move his feet, be able to uh, rush the passer and flip his hips the type the, the type of way I've seen this guy flip his hips. Uh, so that was one for me that that I that I knew was different. You know, and you, and you do you watch the tape, and Chris Jones was a guy who, you know, just like a lot of D linemen, you know, to be completely honest. They play hard some plays, and then other snaps is like, bro, where is Chris Jones? You know what I mean? Uh, and 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 it was a hard evaluation just from that standpoint, because then you talk to the guys in the building, and then you'd be like, okay, well, what's going on with Chris? Oh, he thinks he's playing hard. You know what I mean? So it it it, it was kind of difficult from that perspective, and then some of the background stuff you just had to kind of continue to dig and do some do some homework. But from a physical standpoint. From, from the physical attributes, from a athletic perspective, uh, he was just different than the vast majority of the guys that I scouted. Uh, then another one just happened to be at Mississippi State uh, also with Gabe Jackson. Now, Gabe, uh, we were a team where Reggie uh, really emphasized power, a guy, guys that could move the line of scrimmage, guys that could create a new line of scrimmage. And Gabe Jackson was a guy who was, thick in the lower body. He was thick in his legs. Uh, he was physically strong. Obviously, he was a big man. He was an upwards of 330 pounds, if I'm not mistaken, at the time when we drafted him. But, you know, you talk to those guys at State, and at any point, Gabe could be 350, you know, depending on when he actually went home and had dinner. You know, you know what I'm saying? But when you saw him move, it was always balanced. It was always coordinated. He's not the fleetest of foot as far as athletically. However, uh, balanced, under control, being able to change direction, uh, short area quickness for a guy that's that big and that powerful, plus 
his size and his length, you could easily see how that could translate to what he's doing on Sundays. And he hasn't made a Pro Bowl yet, but I think he's a Pro Bowl caliber guard, in my opinion. How tough is the conversation with the guy that you know you have to cut? We'll get right back to former Ole Miss defensive back Von Hutchins after this quick word on Grove Sharks tailgating and Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Two more proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. Ole Miss football is back at home, and that means great food, friends, and fun in the Grove. Let the experts at Grove Sharks tailgating take care of all your needs before the party begins and the Rebels kick off at Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. Grove Sharks still has a few packages left for the weekend or the remainder of the season. They can provide tents, chairs, coolers, and TV accommodations, among many different items. Visit Grove Sharks at GroveSharks.com or like them on Facebook at Grove Sharks Tailgating. You can also reach Grove Sharks owner Eric Trimble at 662-816-3493. That's 662-816-3493. If you're in the market for a new car, there is no better time to buy at Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Not only do they now have in stock the 2020 Jeep Gladiator, which is half Wrangler, half truck, it's the perfect car for me, but also 20% off select Ram trucks. And I know, I know, no one really loves the car buying process. I'm with you. It can be overwhelming. You're just looking for the best deal. Well, Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford is here for you. And what separates Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford is Brian and Mason and the rest of the staff aim to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Tell them Talk of Champions sent you. Maybe that'll help when you buy that 2020 Jeep Gladiator, that 4x4 truck you've been looking for. 20% off right now. Select Ram Trucks. Contact them today at 662-234-8000. You can stop by and see them at 2201 East University Avenue in Oxford. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels, let's be friends. Uh, some are easier than others because, I mean, guys kind of know how they played. You know, I, I, I've been in their shoes. I've been in their position. I've been cut. I've been I've made squads. I've been released. I've been put on PUP. Uh, I've gotten the, the big a free agent contract. I've been drafted. So I've, I've put myself in their shoes plenty of times. Uh, so some are easier than others. Uh, the, the toughest cut that I had to make personally was Marquette King. And it was Marquette because I had a personal relationship with, with Marquette. You know, uh, Marquette was one that would come in and he would confide in me with things that he would do uh, during the week, issues that he would have uh, with, with coaches, uh, just the developmental process of him actually learning the position. I remember a conversation I had with Marquette uh, his rookie year. It was after a game where he, man, he, he bombed some kicks. He had some 65, 70-yard punts, but a few of them went into the end zone. You know, Marquette was one that he would get to the 50-yard line, and boom, he would punt it as hard as he could. It was a 70-yard punt. It was through the end zone. Yeah, Marquette, you bombed it, but it was a 30-yard punt net. Like, what did you really do? You know, so he would call me the next morning and it was like, hey, Marquette, like, hey, it's a time and a place to use your leg strength and it's a time and a place to use uh, uh, accuracy, being able to uh, pin guys deep. That's something that you need to work on. So I went through that whole developmental process with Marquette. And the day that we had to release him, he actually had come into my office it may have been 6.37 in the morning, to be completely honest with me, with you, because uh, I had seen him the, the day prior. I just so happened to be flying into Oakland, and we landed at the same time. I saw him at the facility, and he told me that he would drop by in the morning because he, we, we were having a new coaching staff come in 
Gruden uh, staff, and he wanted to know what he could do to uh, uh, make himself uh, make the, that new coaching staff more comfortable with him because he had been reading reports that they didn't like him, you know. So I, you know, he came into the office early that morning, and he was doing something in the community uh, that he had to be at around eight o'clock or so. But not long afterwards, and said, "Hey, man, we got to make a move on Marquette." And it was something that we had discussed for about two weeks uh, that may happen. Uh, so that one was tough because, like I said, I just talked to Marquette that day, that morning, and I had to give him a call back. You know, not half hour after he left, knowing that he was doing a community service project in the community, and say, "Hey, Marquette, hey, whenever you get a chance, give me a call back. I need you at the facility." You know, so. That one was a little bit different for me. Uh, that one was kind of tough. Uh, and that one kind of hit, you know, close to home. Because at, you know, at, at some point, we are human. At some point, we, like I said, I've been in that situation. I've been uh, with the Colts in 2016, where I made the 53 following training camp. And that was that Sunday when final cuts were made. And then that Monday, been released. You know, so I've been in that situation before. So I know how it is from the other side. Uh, so, I mean, he, he understood, he got it. Uh, and I still communicate and talk with Marquette, even when he was out in Denver, even now when he's a, he's a free agent trying to get on with other squads. So, I mean, like, like I said, I've been through it. I understand the process. You're from Natchez. Um, Gil Brandt, Hall of Fame scout, released before the season started the states with the most NFL players on opening day rosters. And Mississippi was 14th of all states. What is it about this state and the talent level when you come around and scout? Do you feel like this state can compete with pretty much anyone else? Absolutely. Absolutely we can. Uh, the thing is, you know, there's a, there's songs out or there's a song out that says, you know, get it out the mud. You get it out the mud. And that's what guys do. Guys are humble. Guys are self-made. Guys have, have created themselves uh and been, been brought up around ball. The South is heavy and, and football heavy and Friday night light. Uh, and these guys love to go out and compete. It may not be on the same type of stage as a Florida, as a Georgia, as a California, where God, or Texas, where guys are doing all these seven-on-seven seven camps, especially during the summer and during the spring. Uh, but you have hungry uh, players, hungry athletes, uh, who are just just ready to go out and compete, go out and show exactly what they have on a week-to-week basis. And I think that's what Mississippi has. So what's the relationship to Ole Miss now for you, Vaughn? It's been a while, but I've seen you around. I've seen you in the IPF looking at players. What's the relationship now with Ole Miss? Oh, I have a good relationship with those guys. I don't. I hadn't had an opportunity to get back much. I, I did get back uh, for the Arkansas game, was able to connect with Matt Luke. I saw him at the Senior Bowl. Last year, uh, Charles Clark is a buddy of mine, uh, the defensive back coach. I uh, have a really good relationship with him. Uh, we have a group of really about 10 guys on, on group text, and we're talking about Jesse Mitchell, Marcus Woodson, Brian Brown, uh, B. Brown at Louisville, C. Clark at Ole Miss, uh, Keith Houston, he coaches a high school in, uh, in West Memphis in, up in Arkansas area. Uh, you know, uh, Jeremy Garrett, he's at Vanderbilt. I just saw him two weeks ago. You know, just a bunch of guys who are really, 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 really good guys 
who just so happened to be either around ball, affiliated with ball, or just doing really well for themselves. Uh, so I still stay in contact with a lot of the guys there, but I just haven't been able to get back as much. I mean, obviously I lived out in the Bay Area for seven years, which is about as far as you can get from <laughs> Mississippi. <laughs> you know what I mean? As far as price range too, you know. Uh, but Ole Miss is home, man. I have some of the best memories of my life at uh, University of Mississippi, at, in Oxford, at Ole Miss, uh, in the Grove, at Vault Hemingway. Obviously, we didn't have the, the IPF. We didn't have, what, 1810 Grill, <laughs> as they have them, <laughs> and all of that. But uh, every time I go back, it's still the same faces. You know, I went back not too long ago or, or a couple weeks ago and seen Possum, uh, seen Ken Crane on the sideline, uh, was able to give those guys, give them hell and, and, and talk trash, man. It, it's just great to go back and see the changes uh, that Ole Miss football has made and the type of players, the quality and the caliber of players that they're able to get from Orr to Tunzel to A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Evan Ingram, Dawson Knox. Uh, you see these guys playing consistently on Sundays and not just playing. I mean, we got stars. We got guys that are playing extremely well, you know? So it, it's a sense of pride. It's a sense of uh, uh, brotherhood. You know, I, I don't I don't know a lot of these guys personally, but all I got to do is throw out a hotty toddy or, you know, throughout my draft year. And we're the same guy. What's the greatest Ole Miss memory on the field? Greatest Ole Miss memory for me is, is something that I still give my guys from Florida hell about, to be completely honest. I was just down at University of Florida and seeing Kiwan Ratliff and Rand Carthon is, is one of my good buddies. But uh, the back-to-back years when we beat Florida, uh, we tore down the goalposts when they were a top-10 team, if I'm not mistaken. Hey, I was one of those people uh, tearing down the goalposts, Vaughn. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, so we tore, we tore down the goalpost that that was 2002, if I'm not mistaken, something yep. like that. And then we went to Gainesville with, uh, who did they have? C.J. Leak playing quarterback? Was that Chris Leak? And I was able to get an interception in Gainesville, and we won that game. Uh, so just that that sequence was, was uh, an extremely, uh, for me, it was okay. I think that we've arrived. We've arrived as a school. Obviously, we had Deuce McAllister and those guys come through earlier, so the draft picks were there. Uh, but just those two consecutive years, and then then finalizing it with the the victory in the Cotton Bowl in uh, 2004. Just for me, just kind of solidified like okay, Ole Miss is here on the map to stay for quite some time. Before I let you go here, you mentioned it already, but you're close with Eli, a former teammate of his at Ole Miss. He's had a long, distinguished career with the New York Giants. He's handled this transition to Daniel Jones with complete class and grace. What are your thoughts on Eli, just his legacy as a Giant, his legacy at Ole Miss? He's one of the greatest, if not the greatest players in Ole Miss history. Just what are your thoughts on Eli right now? Man, Eli's a great guy. Absolute great guy. Uh, love playing with him. Love going through the through the battles with him, going through the fires with him. Uh, and I look at him right now and I'm thinking, wow, this man is still playing. You know, there's not many guys that are still playing from my 2004 draft class. There's only a handful. You know, we're talking about 13, 14 years in the league. What is he, like 14, 15 mm-hmm. years yep. in the league strong right now? So 
I mean, just that in and of itself should speak to the type of legacy that he has, including the Super Bowl victories. Uh, so, I mean, my hats are off to the guy. Uh, at the end of the day, everybody's run uh, comes to an end. It's a matter of how you handle it. It's a matter of if they take it from you or you, you know, allow it to, to allow or you have the ability to, to, hey, I'm done with you yourself. You know, and, you know, this may not be the, the last we hear of Eli. I don't know how long he uh, plans to kind of, you know, stick around. I don't know if you know, being a backup with the Giants is this next route or or moves on to another team. Whatever it is, I know he's going to make the best decision that for him and his family. But, man, Eli's a phenomenal guy. Like you said, uh, he's borderline Hall of Fame type player, and he's definitely one of the greatest players to ever come through Ole Miss. So I got nothing but respect for the guy. He can just come on home, eat all that Ajax that he wants, and go throw it around in the Manning Center. He'll be good. <laughs> you know what? He'll be great no matter what. And <laughs> no matter what. At the end of the day, man, yeah, we, we may have to uh, drop the speed limit down to 10 now. Oh, it's God, it's already it. too slow, Vaughn. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> too slow. He's Von Hutchins, former Ole Miss defensive back. 13 years in the NFL. Thank you so much for doing this, man. I appreciate it. We'll do it again. Man, definitely, definitely. Anytime, anytime. Give me a shot. That was former Ole Miss defensive back Von Hutchins. He joined us on the Modern Women phone line, and this is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter, and the guest co-host chair is Nick Suss. He covers Ole Miss for the Jackson Clarion Ledger, and I wanted to touch on a few more football items, but before we do that, briefly... Let me tell you about the Lamar, Oxford's first and only traditional neighborhood, and Cheney's Pharmacy, two more proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. What do we know about living in Oxford right now? One, it's expensive. And two, if you live on one side of town and you want to go to the other side of town, it takes an hour to get through traffic. We're all jammed, packed in like sardines in this town. But have no fear, the Lamar. Oxford's only traditional neighborhood is under construction. Brought to you by John Welty Realty. A traditional neighborhood means right where you live. A grocery store, a brewery, restaurants, shops, all within walking distance of your front door. But what about the houses? Custom high-end spec houses. Beautiful finishes, open concept, modern two-story houses. If you're looking for a three-bedroom, a two-bedroom, a one-bedroom, you'll find a fit with any of these three spacious layouts. So don't delay. Get in with the Lamar right now. Build-out is happening. For more information, contact John Welty at john at johnweltyrealty.com. That's john at johnweltyrealty.com. Or give him a call at 662-23-HOMES. When it's football season, all you want to do is be around football. Even when you make your trip to the pharmacy, you want to see Ole Miss. The best pharmacy to go to, the only Ole Miss pharmacy really to go to, is Cheney's Pharmacy for all your pharmaceutical needs. Cheney's offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally-owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there. So give Cheney's a call, 662-234-7221. Or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online, Cheney'sPharmacy.com. And Cheney's Ole Miss is always in season. Cheney's Pharmacy. Much more than just a pharmacy. Back now with me is Nick Suss. He covers Ole Miss for the Jackson Clarion Ledger. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. At Nick Suss, N-I-C-K-S-U-S-S on Twitter. Does Ole Miss have a field goal kicking problem? Yeah, a little bit. They also have a 
kickoff problem. They it's also have a weird decision problem as far as not doing math correctly is Matt Luke. Yeah, I think that that's a coaching problem, maybe not a Matt Luke problem. I think unless you're John Harbaugh with the Ravens, nobody seems to properly understand when to kick field goals, when to go for fourth downs, when to go for two-point conversions, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I'm not going to say Matt Luke is alone in not being able to read the analytics. But the old thing people say about coaches is if you go for it on, on fourth down and fail, it's the coach's fault. If you don't go for it and you lose, it's the player's fault. It's a lot easier to spread the blame if you go by the book than it is to go against the grain. So for a guy who is, in a lot of people's perspectives, coaching for his job, he's making the safe choice. But the safe choice doesn't always lead to wins. And when you lose games, that's the least safe thing to do. See, that's my problem, is Ole Miss should be progressive analytically with football. You're already at a distinct disadvantage talent-wise. You're never going to recruit like Alabama and Georgia and LSU. You're already behind the eight ball. So you should be more progressive in other areas. Why is Ole Miss not at the forefront of analytics in football? I don't know. I think every argument you've just made is correct and compelling. I have been arguing that punting is a scourge since I was seven years old. But here we are, and people are still punting, and people are still attempting red zone field goals, even though the math says that if you turn the ball over inside your opponent's 15-yard line, you are more likely to score than they are, even though they have the ball. All that said, teams continue to kick from inside the 15-yard line. Yeah, and you're kicking a field goal down 15. Yeah, it's just, it's not mathematically prudent. But the question isn't, are they making the correct choices mathematically? The question is, are they making the correct choices for their personal futures? And this is true of both the players and the coaches. I think in this situation, the Venn diagram is just one circle on top of another. But there are certain situations where coaches choose to be conservative because they have the luxury. To your point, I don't know if this team has that. Ole Miss cannot be the conservative team. It has to be at the forefront of analytics. It has to be progressive. Ole Miss has to be creative and how it constructs its football program. And that leans into the argument that a lot of fans have for Mike Leach. You have to be gimmicky. You have to be the Texas Tech of the SEC. What do we know about Texas Tech when Texas Tech was a national contender? They were going to wide open throw it, air raid. So I get why fans would want a Mike Leach because you're already at a disadvantage with recruiting. So the whole argument, well, Mike Leach wouldn't work here. Well, what's working here now? Why are you trying to play Alabama ball at Ole Miss? Why are you not trying to have a distinct identity and advantage of your own? Almost across the board right now has no identity. You look at the stands, the fans aren't showing up, the students aren't showing up. I think Keith Carter and Michael Thompson have done a lot of great things to drastically improve game day atmosphere. They deserve a lot of credit. But what is Ole Miss to you? What do you look forward to? When you go to the games, what are you hanging your hats on? And I think that's where Ole Miss, more than anything else, can really get out of the rut it's in is identify what you want to be. You can make fun of Arizona State hiring Herm Edwards all you want. I was one of those people. But at least they took a bold, drastic approach to how they were going to go about their football program. Ole Miss continues to take these incremental baby steps to be like every other college football program. And it's never going to work. I I hate Ed Orgeron. He was terrible. He was a terrible hire when it happened. But at least... At least Robert Kayette swung for the fences of something different. And what did Ed Ordron do? He lost a lot of ball games, but he got a lot of talent to Ole Miss. A lot of it. To yeah. where Houston Nutt, the disaster that he is, was able to come in with a loaded up roster and win with it because he was competent as a coach. Then Ed Ordron goes somewhere else and learns how to be a head coach, and now he's succeeding at LSU. Good for him. 
I don't hate Ed Orgeron personally. I hate him as a head coach. I should clarify there. But at least in all of my criticisms of that Ed Orgeron hire and covering it and everything that went into it, Robert Kayat, for his many failings, swung for the fences. Which is why I'll just say, if there is a coaching change, and I And neither adore, one of us are saying that's going to happen. No, but Neither yes. of us are saying that. I adore Mike Leach's offense. Do not hire Mike Leach. Hire the next Mike Leach. Don't hire a 60-year-old coach. Mike Leach's offense is working out west. Mike Leach's offense will probably always work. Find the guy who is what Mike Leach was in 1999. When Mike Leach was a first-time head coach out of Texas Tech, or even when he was a coordinator out at Oklahoma, that is the risk. If you go out and get an established head coach like Mike Leach, you're getting what Mike Leach is. And I hate to say it, but I think Ole Miss fans would be pretty frustrated if this team went from coming sixth in the West every year to third in the West every year, because they'd be happy for two or three years. And then they'd be asking, why aren't we getting over the hump? You know what Mike Leach is. I love what Mike Leach is. I love watching his team. Even when they blow 35 point leads, I love watching his team. But if you look at, Hey, this Joe Brady fellow is doing some big things at LSU. Let's keep an eye on where he came from. If you go and say, Hey, every NFL team in the world is hiring someone from this McVeigh tree. You think that could work in the sec? Try to identify who Mike Leach is going to be 20 years from now instead of going out and getting the established Mike Leach. Because if you do that, you're falling into what you just said before and you are just kind of trying to be what somebody else was instead of carving your own identity. I think everyone would agree that Kirby Smart is a better head coach than Hugh Freeze. But when the coaching change happened and Kirby Smart immediately arose as a candidate at Ole Miss, as did Hugh Freeze, everybody wanted Kirby. Heck, I was one of those people that said, hey, look, Kirby's the guy. He's got to be the guy. If you can get Kirby Smart, go get Kirby Smart. And I remember I was sitting in the Ole Miss Spirit office, and Chuck said, Ben, Kirby Smart won't work here. And he went through the whole reason why. And I disagreed with him vehemently. I was more stubborn back then. But now I see his point of view. Chuck was saying Ole Miss has to be different, distinctly different. When you look at Ole Miss, you think, oh, shit, that's the team that does this. And that's what you have to go against every single Saturday. And that's not to say that a coaching change is going to happen. I don't believe one will happen at the end of the year. But if you're staring at three and nine, four and eight, that's the conversation that's about to start firing up in earnest. Fan attendance is not coming back. Yeah, that Southeastern Louisiana game was one of the most sparsely attended college football games I've ever seen. That was bad. And I know it's Southeastern Louisiana, but if you are truly priding yourself as a top tier program, you show up for those. I don't know. The, the excitement's low. I'm not going to blame the fans. I'm not going to blame the team. I'm not going to blame the administration. I'm I don't not blame, blame Matt Luke. I don't blame the fans. I don't blame Keith Carter. But now this is what's left. So what do you do? How do you fix it? We still don't know what Matt Luke's vision is. I wrote about this last week, and I think that Cal is actually a really awesome comparison I agree. for what Ole Miss should want to be. When, when they hired Justin Wilcox, they were coming out of an air raid offense that was so similar to Phil Longo's air raid that it might have been a carbon copy. They were also coming out of a team that ranked 131st out of 132 teams in total defense. Within three years, they're a run-first team that's got a top-20 defense in the country. How does that happen in three years? That sounds an awful lot like what Ole Miss wants to do. It just hasn't been articulated how that's going to happen. And I think this is an awesome blueprint. If you look at what Cal's done, they're in a conference that more and more is trending towards offense first, which I, which I think we're starting to see in the SEC at least this year. So you go against the grain and build with defense. You're playing in a college landscape that is increasingly becoming dependent on nickel and dime defenses. So you learn how to expose that 
with a spread option rushing attack. That is kind of what Ole Miss is trying to do with Richrod, even if Richrod's schemes are leaning more towards RPO than maybe a spread option rushing attack. If you use these blueprints of what Cal has done, I think Ole Miss can carve its identity as a weird 20 to 25 team. But is that Cal's ceiling? Is Cal going to top out at 20 to 25 just because they're going so far against the grain and aren't winning with a high-powered passing attack or with a secondary or with a, sorry, front seven driven defense? I don't know. I really don't know. But I think that Cal is a really interesting blueprint, blueprint for maybe what Matt Luke is trying to do. He just hasn't articulated that's what he's trying to do. I hope Matt Luke works at Ole Miss. I really do. Because he deserves a shit ton of credit for everything he's done. But we have to have a real conversation about what Ole Miss is. What is the identity of Ole Miss? If some alien from Mars came up to you and said, Nick, what is this Ole Miss football you speak of? What would you say? It's the whole Star Wars prequel analogy. Who is Mace Windu? Can you tell me? Okay, now what about Han Solo, Luke Skywalker? What is Alabama? You know that identity immediately as you're sitting in your car, something popped in your brain. Now clear your brain. What is Ole Miss? I think that Ole Miss football, we'd probably start by talking about all the things that happen off the field. You'd start with the Grove. You'd start with maybe the violations. You'd start with maybe the history. But the current iteration of the team, it's the worst kind of football team you can have. A team that's not exciting. A team that's stuck and mired in this stasis, this purgatory. I can't tell you what Ole Miss football is. And that's a problem that extends far beyond who your head coach is. And until everyone in charge, and I know most of them are in charge on an interim basis, until everyone in charge can come together on a consensus of what Ole Miss is supposed to be and should be, are you spinning tires? Because it feels that way. This has been Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Nick Suss at Nick Suss on Twitter. He's the Jackson Clary and Ledger Ole Miss Beat Reporter. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions on iTunes. Also available in SoundCloud and should be wherever you get your podcast. Just simply search Talk of Champions. If we're not there, hit me up on Twitter at Spirit Ben. I'll get it on there for you. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. We'll do it again. I'm happy to do it, Ben. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.